Section 9 of The Influence of Monarchs by Frederick Adams Woods. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Leon Harvey. Chapter 9 Denmark. In analyzing the history of Denmark, it is best to begin with the age of Valdemar III, 1340 to 1375. It is often difficult to get information concerning the characteristics of the early kings, and the general history of the nation is too dark and misty prior to the middle of the 14th century. A few strong royal figures stand out in the 11th and 12th centuries, such as Eric III, Valdemar I, Canute VI, and Valdemar II, and during their sway the country invariably progressed in strength and importance. Between these spasmodic bursts of vigour, weakness and confusion generally prevailed. A more detailed and systematic study of early Danish history before Valdemar III would be difficult, would require special research beyond the usual printed volumes, and would not, I should say, be particularly instructive. Looking over the thread of Danish history from the middle of the 14th century to the beginning of the 19th, the comparatively few reigns which are progressive is a striking fact. From Valdemar III to Frederick VI, there are only seven such periods out of twenty. This is a low proportion as related to the fact that Denmark happened to have few great sovereigns. At times she held sway outside her own narrow dominions, notably in Scandinavia, but this territorial growth and decline also followed the strength and weakness of the sovereigns. Voldemar III commenced his reign in 1340. In the beginning he possessed little more than the very restricted area of North Jutland. There had been a long period of internal weakness. No monarchy and no revenues. Scania and Halland were in the hands of the Swedes. Funen and Jutland were forcibly held by the Counts of Holstein. Zealand and Laland obeyed another chief, and the rest of the Isles had each its own ruler who regarded it as his own estate, to be inherited by his children. The anarchy of so many years had caused the laws to be forgotten, and the feeble were everywhere a prey to the strong and the poor, were at war with the rich, the native with the foreigner, and nobody thought of obedience to authority. With this troubled and unpromising beginning, Voldemar, by skilful administration made Denmark the strongest country in that part of the globe, recovering, consolidating, and extending his dominions, making his authority everywhere realized. It conferred great blessings in all classes except perhaps the nobility whose rapaciousness had found a check. Voldemar was succeeded by Olaf III, but this prince being a minor. The regency was given to Margaret, who afterwards ruled in her own right. This minority was not a weak one. Margaret triumphed over Albert of Sweden, twice bringing to naught his invasion of Denmark. The general administration was so well maintained that on the death of little Olaf in 1387, she was willingly accorded the full sovereign power. This woman ranks as one of the most intellectual queens in history. The general state of Denmark was distinctly higher during the reigns of Voldemar and Margaret. After this, there was no growth worth mentioning for 120 years. A particularly sharp decline set in on the death of Margaret in 1412 and lasted through the reign of the weak Eric. Then Christopher III, Christian I, and John successfully followed, kings of mediocre stamp, and paralleled by conditions likewise without interest. Denmark lost in one territory in the Swedish kingdom and then lost it again. The various drawn-out rivalries led to no advantage. The general march of events was slow and heavy. An intellectual sovereign appeared in Christian II but not a really wise and suitable one. His mind was bold, enterprising and gifted, but his disposition was obstinate, capricious and excessive. His successes and failures appear as a very natural outcome from a nature so brilliant, but so ill-arranged. His was a character to suppress rebellions, and this he did 
with pitiless severity. The broad ideas of Christian II may be seen in such improvements in the legislator, the commerce, and the conditions of the peasantry, as well as the favourable side of this period. But the many wars with Sweden appear to have been of no advantage to Denmark. These wasting wars and excessive cruelties towards clergy and nobles make his reign far from a golden age, but it would seem, everything considered, the more was gained than lost under the brilliant half-mad king. Christian carried his tyranny too far, his downfall was plotted by nobles and senators alike, and a popular movement finally deposed him in favour of his uncle, Duke Frederick, a man of only ordinary capacity, but cautious and peace-loving. Denmark was occupied during the reign of Frederick I, 1523-1533, to 1533, by the events of the Reformation. There is no special tendency in regard to political or material affairs. The interrogum of 1533-1534 was a period of weakness, disruption, and violence. Religious questions had divided the kingdom into two warring parties. Roman Catholics had declared for John, a younger son of Frederick I. Protestants were in favour of the eldest son of Christian. The latter prince, the day, within a year, was well established in royal power as Christian III. His reign was strong, characterised by comparative peace and prosperity, commercial advance, and judicial improvements. The reign of Frederick II, 1559-1588, was also prosperous and more notable than that of his predecessor. He was a superior king, and also was served by a group of able statesmen. With the assistance of these men, Frederick succeeded in raising the kingdom to a rank of great power, prosperous at home and respected abroad. Never before had Denmark been so well governed. Never before had she possessed so many political celebrities, nobly emulous, for the public good. The public money was managed with great skill, so that the executor was enriched without the taxes becoming burdensome. Copenhagen's university was enlarged and more amply endowed, and many colleges and academies were founded in various parts of the kingdom, as well as schools and the towns and villages. Although this reign was followed by a regency of eight years during the minority of Christian IV, the conditions remained prosperous and orderly. All four men were of great experience and acknowledged ability, and they exercised their trust in such a manner as to afford much satisfaction to the nation at large. Minorities have generally been seasons of trouble, and if the present was not, the honour might be awarded to the able government of the regents. With Christian the Fourth, fifteen ninety six to sixteen forty eight, we return again to conditions in which the personal influence of the sovereign is omnipotent. Christian the Fourth is the best known king in Danish history. He approaches more closely to genius than any ruler since Margaret, but still is far from being a king of the first rank. The talents and defects of Christian the Fourth are both clearly mirrored in the history of his reign. The early part shows commercial and internal prosperity, which seems a direct result of Christian's activities. The last part gives a picture of disastrous wars, the outcome of that same ambition now excessive and unrestrained. A few quotations from Bain and from the older writer Dunham will suffice to show how the events of the time followed naturally from the leadership of such a man as Christian IV, agile and athletic, always extraordinarily energetic and tenacious. His writings and sketches testify to a shorthand and a sense of form. Naturally cheerful and hospitable, he delighted and shone brilliantly in lively society. But he was also passionate and irritable, with his strong and sensual inclinations of a plethoric and pleasure-loving temperament. He was not without the elements of many noble virtues. He possessed uncommon courage, a vivid sense of duty, and indefatigable love of every sort of work, and all the inquisitive zeal or the inventive energy of a born reformer. 
Want of self-control ruined the fine qualities. He was of the stuff which great princes are made, and he never attained greatness. In the decline of life, the bitter fruits of his lack of stability became miserably obvious, and he sank into the grave a weary heartbroken old man. That Christian without any great had many useful qualities is certain. He encouraged literature and commerce, and patronized literary and scientific men. He founded cities and fortresses. In all these respects, he is deserving of high praise. Active, intrepid in danger, constant in adversary, he would have commanded our approbation, had not his object been personal rather than national, had not self been his ruling passion. As for his good works, the harbours of Copenhagen, Elsinore, and other towns were enlarged. A postal system for the whole of Denmark was established in 1624. Many decaying towns were abolished, and new ones founded under more promising circumstances. On the national defences, he also bestowed much care. Christian IV was evidently a brilliant king, but he made the fatal mistake of attempting to conquer a far greater man, Gustavus Adolphus of Sweden. For this reason, the last half of his reign was, is filled with disasters. To quote Bain again, impatience, ambition, and over-sanguine confidence, and by the jealousy of Sweden, induced him to plunge to a war against the combined forces of the emperor and league without any guarantee of cooperation from abroad. These long wars, instituted to suit the personal ambition of Charles IV, brought lamentable misfortune to Denmark. The king lost the respect of his subjects, and the foreign powers as well. The army was defeated, the navy annihilated. Three years before his death, a humiliating peace was concluded at Bromoncello. The peace of Bromoncello was the first of a long series of treaties extended down to our present day, which marked the progressive shrinkage of Danish territory to an inducible minimum. In the two reigns which follow, from 1648 to 1699, the conditions are difficult to estimate. Her continuous wars with Sweden represent the weakest side of the era. These were either quite useless or brought terrible advantages not to the Dane, but to the Swedes, who at the same time were under the strong rule of the House of Vassa. The monarchs Frederick III and Christian V were not distinctive. Christian V was, I should say, somewhat below the average, and Frederick slightly above. The period cut with these two kings is not especially important. There is still one interesting point here to be noted on account of its bearing on questions of psychology and historical causation. In the year 1670, during the reign of Frederick III, there occurred a sharp change in the form of government and the constitutional position of the crown. Before that time, Denmark was one of the most limited of monarchies. After 1670 until 1848, she was the most absolute in Europe. I have already referred in Hereditary and Royalty, page 225 to 226, to this peculiar phenomenon, and have pointed out that this most absolute of monarchies failed to produce, as some might expect, arbitrary or tyrannical rulers. In fact, the kings of Denmark during this period were, as Weizmeyer says, good-natured, upright, and not more than ordinarily gifted. In the earlier history of the country, there came forward, as we remember, a rather unusual number of able statesmen originating from the commoners. Later they were quite as conspicuous by their absence, as absent in Denmark as they have ever been in Spain or Portugal. There is one reign more in Danish history, prior to the Napoleonic period, which should be pointed out as being distinctly prosperous. This covers the years 1699-1730, under Frederick IV. The acquisition of new territory, Schleswig, and also many inward improvements, financial, industrial, educational, and agricultural, mark the reign. Frederick IV was a rather striking character, extremely ambitious, and well above mediocrity, perhaps unprincipled, 
but withal an amiable, popular, and well-meaning prince. He was one of the very few strong kings in Denmark, and we see the nation well responding. The next reigns were also prosperous, though not as much so. The country enjoyed two generations of peace, a rare event in any nation. This period was characterized on its best side by commercial and industrial advance. There was one feature of national life, nevertheless, that bore a cloudy aspect. That was a state of agriculture and the condition of the peasantry. This passed through a severe crisis during the reign of Christian VI and extended to that of his successor, Frederick V, so that the first of these reigns has a doubtful merit, while the second is a period in which growth somewhat outweighs decline. Personal influence of the sovereigns is quite marked during both reigns. Neither were great men, but both were well-intentioned and led their influence in the right direction. The various treaties, acts, and laws which brought about the commercial and industrial and later the agricultural development appear to emanate from the sovereign will. Thus, from the beginning of the 18th century, a period of about 70 years occurred when Denmark, blessed with good rulers, made credible, though not distinguished advance. This suddenly came to an end with the ascension of Christian VII, a poor, degraded, half-witted creature who had neither the capacity nor the desire to rule. The government came naturally into the hands of others. A young German doctor named Schuensi, a man of brilliant gifts and insinuating ways, but with a character utterly selfish, brutal and corrupt, gradually gained the leadership at court. Appears to have had some grand notions of raising the fame of Denmark and became imbued with the idea of changing the whole state of society, but his radical and revolutionary reforms only led to a condition of chaos. Strenzi's ascendancy over the imbecile king and his notorious relations with Queen Caroline Matilda, together with his general overthrow of the rights of Danish nobles, fomented a conspiracy which ended in the arrest and execution of this extraordinary man, whose theatrical career will excite a peculiar interest. This portion of the reign of Christian VII, that is from 1766 to 1772, was not progressive. The reforms which fill this history are of doubtful merit, but the last part, on the contrary, probably has successes in value in spite of the weakness and imbecility of the king. This was practically under the rule of Olaf Hoa Goldberg, who overcame and reconstructed the evil work Struensi. In his desire to give liberty and importance to the lower classes, Struensi had actually crushed the upper classes and overturned valuable traditional and conservative forces. Besides recovering from this upheaval, Denmark gained steadily in commercial importance, being especially favoured by the American War of Independence. A new period of sane reforms, especially in agriculture and tariff legislation, began in 1784, directed towards ameliorating the unfortunate conditions of the peasantry. The 18th century closed with Danish affairs running along in a fairly prosperous condition. There were three prominent names connected with this generation, the Crown Prince Frederick, Andreas Bernersdorf, and H.D. Reventhal. To summarise, we may say, in a broad way, that Denmark was steadily, though rather mildly, progressive from the 13th to the 19th century. Out of 18 periods, 12 show a well-nigh perfect correlation between the kings and the conditions, and four of the other instances are not far from it. At least five minor or special occasions are noticeable in which progress emanated from a non-royal source. The number of able, non-royal political leaders and the number of times the country had progressed under weak kings ought to be good measures of a nation's superiority. Looked at from this point of view, Denmark would have a position following closely upon England and Scotland, and least on a par with Sweden and the Netherlands. One particularly important generalisation from the history of Denmark is that, after the 14th century, this country had no great kings, and continually remained restricted in territorial and political importance. 
a comparison of the history of the various nations of modern europe convinces me that the chief reason why denmark remained small was that she did not happen to have kings inherently great and that if great kings had been born to the house of oldenburg denmark would have expanded at least for a time as did sweden from the standpoint of hereditary there is no expectation of anything more than mediocrity or more at talents in the danish line of the oldenburgs the full pedigrees for each danish king from fifteen fifty nine to eighteen eighteen contain nothing in the way of genius and are even curiously devoid of mortally illustrious names but this i mean that one can follow up all the ancestral branches until included until all the great-grandparents of each king have been searched out until one hundred and thirty-two names have been found and yet not a single illustrious or eminent name will be encountered both the political history of denmark and the pedigree of the danish kings may be likened to several of the small germanic principalities and duchies these have drawn their royal blood from many families in teutonic europe yet they never grafted on to their main trunk any of those rare branches of genius that narrowly spread their way through the otherwise monotonous pages of genealogical folios thus these countries were foredoomed to play minor roles in the ever-changing spectacle of history yet this does not mean that a more gradual more widely diffused progress will not take place without the royal initiative that has taken place in most countries in all western europe is well known but before one dogmatizes on the causes of this movement or the direction of its tendencies let him first recognize the modernness of its appearance and the untraditional nature of its activities among these european estates which can lay some claim to an early awakening of such a really national non-rural activity denmark must always have a creditable place for this reason its history merits far more attention than has been generally bestowed upon it. End of section 9